Hello and welcome to The X-Ray. I'm Fernando Espuelas in Washington. The brutal violence unleashed by Vladimir Putin in Ukraine continues with sickening consequences. Massive missile and drone attacks have devastated Ukraine's civilian population and energy infrastructure. Ukrainian cities in the country's east have been leveled by a Russian war machine determined to crush Ukraine into surrender. More than 5 million desperate Ukrainians have fled to neighboring countries and millions more have been internally displaced in Ukraine. We have not seen this level of human suffering in Europe since 1945. And now, after a winter of stalemate when both armies have tried to eke out a few kilometers of forward momentum, the much-anticipated Ukrainian counteroffensive appears to take shape. Billions of dollars in NATO military hardware have been delivered to Ukraine, forming the steel backbone of the spring offensive. The war has transcended the battlefield. Its impact to global peace and stability is crystal clear. In Europe, the horror of another land war has unified the NATO alliance like in no other time since the Cold War. In Asia, China watches the US-led response to the invasion with weary eyes. It seeks to crush democratic Taiwan, and the unexpected unified response from the US alliance is a warning to Beijing. And that's the ultimate issue raised by this war. Will democratic countries repeat the errors of the 1930s, appeasing a fascist dictator hoping to ward off more violence, or fight back? Some 450 days since Putin's invasion, the democracies are standing up and willing to defend the world order. Today, I explore the full-spectrum impact of the war with former U.S. Secretary of Defense Liam Panetta. Secretary Panetta has been on the front lines of American government for decades, serving as a congressman, White House chief of staff, and CIA director. He is now a member of the Council for Responsible Social Media. He knows how weakness encourages people like Putin, and how determined opposition to land grabs and military extortion is essential to the survival of democratic societies. Here now is my conversation with former Secretary of Defense, Leon Panetta. Secretary Leon Panetta, welcome to the X-Ray. Good to be with you, Fernando. Thank you, Mr. Secretary. If we could start with a meta question first, uh, why should Americans support Ukraine? Why is it in our national interest to do so? I think it's in our national interest because it really is not just about democracy in Ukraine, but about uh, the future of democracy in the 21st century. We have a tyrant, uh, Putin, who invaded Ukraine for no other reason but that he did not agree that the people of Ukraine had the right to decide how they would govern themselves. Uh, Hitler pretty much did the same thing when he invaded Poland and Czechoslovakia. Uh, and fortunately, our allies came together and stopped uh, Hitler from prevailing. That's why I think it's important for the United States and our NATO allies to be able to support Ukraine in this battle, because ultimately we have to ensure that Putin does not succeed in what he's doing. And by doing that, not only will we be defending the national security interests of Ukraine, we'll be defending our own national security interests as well. And you brought up the, of course, the example of the 1930s, the pre-World War II period, where Western powers, in particular the UK and France, basically allowed Hitler to expand his power to the point where they couldn't turn it back. And some people say that's an exaggerated comparison to what Putin is doing. How do you see that, sir? 
I think anytime a bully like Putin takes advantage of a situation and decides that he's going to invade a sovereign democracy, for us to suddenly stand on the sidelines and allow that to happen would send a terrible message to the world, not only about the United States, but about our allies and about our democracies in the 21st century. It's absolutely critical that we unite in support of the Ukraine, because frankly, there's no other alternative. I mean, if the United States were to walk away from this responsibility, if our allies were to walk away from this responsibility and Ukraine would fall to Putin, imagine the signal that that would send to the rest of the world and what it would mean in terms of whether or not we could protect other democracies in the 21st century. So, as I said, this is not just about democracy in the Ukraine. It's about democracy in the 21st century. Now, yesterday, the president of Estonia said that we should forget the red lines in terms of providing weapons and other military capabilities to Ukraine, because if Russia should prevail, which does not necessarily mean to conquer Ukraine, but rather to maintain the stolen territory that they've invaded, it would essentially create a, a pathway, if you will, for the Baltic states and perhaps other states to be attacked by Russia at a different time. How do you see that and how do you contextualize that with the critiques that the Biden administration has received that it's not doing enough, even though it has provided a tremendous amount of monetary and military support? What's your view on that dynamic? I think that it's important for the United States as a world leader, and I believe that the United States needs to be a world leader. It's the role we've played since World War II. But as a world leader, our ability to unify our NATO allies in an effort to do everything we can to support Ukraine in this effort is extremely important. We've implemented sanctions against Russia. We have provided weapons and ammunition to Ukraine. We have reinforced NATO. All of those steps have been critically important to the leadership that the United States has to show in a very dangerous world. And so have we done enough? Look, we have a war going on in Europe. The United States uh, and our allies have provided uh, a tremendous amount of weapons uh, and assistance. Could they have done this at a more rapid pace? Should they be doing more? You know, my response is we ought to be doing everything we can right now to try to make sure that uh, Ukraine prevails in this war against Putin, because it's not just in Ukraine's interest, it's, it's in our interest as well. Look, the reason Putin went into Ukraine is because he sensed weakness. That's what bullies do. Uh, he sensed weakness when he was able to go into the, the Crimea and uh, paid no price. Uh, he went into Georgia and paid no price. He went into Syria and paid no price. He conducted a very bold cyber attack against the United States and our election systems and paid no price. Uh, he saw what happened in Afghanistan. And all of that gave him a sense that the United States and our allies are weak. And he attacked and invaded because he sensed weakness. So if for some reason we were not providing uh, the weapons that Ukraine needed, if for some reason we were not unified in supporting Ukraine, imagine what kind of signal that would send to Putin with regards to going after other nations in that part of the world. So this is a critical and pivotal war that will tell us a lot about what the 21st century looks like.
Now, Mr. Secretary, as you know, uh, Russian information warfare is very potent and certainly has impacted part of the American psyche, in particular Putin's threats and Medvedev's threats of using nuclear weapons, the threat of escalation, which has seemed to be at least marginally impactful in limiting that military support from the West. How do you see the escalation threat? How should Americans think about this? And what's real here when you take away the propagandistic element of what Putin is saying? Well, I've always operated on the principle never to trust the Russians and certainly never to trust Putin. Uh, I learned that uh, in the CIA. I learned that when I was in the military, frankly. And I learned that certainly as Secretary of Defense. Do not trust the Russians. And for that reason, I think uh, it is very important for the United States and our allies and for Ukraine to keep our eye on the target, to keep our eye on the mission, which is to stop the Russian invasion and to prevail in this war against Putin. And Putin is going to make all kinds of threats. Uh, that's his nature as a bully. He's going to threaten us with uh, nuclear war. He's going to threaten us with uh, all kinds of other efforts to basically undermine our support for Ukraine. That's what it's all intended to do. And, you know, as far as the nuclear threat is concerned, with something he's been saying over and over again, I really think that China has really put the kibosh on that because China's made very clear that Russia should not engage in any kind of nuclear war when it comes to Ukraine. And I think because Putin is in a weak position now, uh, depends a great deal on China's friendship at this point, I don't expect that that's going to happen. So what that means is that the United States and our allies cannot be intimidated by his threats. We've got to continue to provide strong support to Ukraine. I guess uh, you mentioned China. One of the most ironic, at least short term outcomes of this war has been that Russia has become almost one can imagine a colony of China providing uh, raw materials in exchange for manufactured goods, sort of very 19th century relationship. It's also been discussed that China's watching this war very carefully to understand how the United States and its allies respond to these kinds of threats, of course, because Taiwan is now very much in their sights. How do you see the relationship of China-Taiwan to this war? And uh, how do you see the U.S.'s preparation for a potential Pacific war going? Well, as I mentioned at the beginning, uh, I think that this war, as I said, is not just about democracy in Ukraine, but about democracy in the 21st century, number one. Number two, I have to tell you that because we live in a dangerous world in which we're not only confronting Russia, but confronting China, confronting North Korea, confronting Iran, uh, confronting uh, a lot of flashpoints in a very dangerous world, that the message we send to Putin in Ukraine has to be exactly the same message we send to Xi in China, to Kim Jong-un in North Korea, and to the supreme leader in Iran, that they cannot prevail and they will not prevail. Uh, and therefore, when it comes to Taiwan, I think the president is right to make very clear to uh, Xi in China that if he goes after Taiwan, uh, the United States will engage militarily. That's a very strong statement, but I think it's the right statement to make. And I also think that she is watching Ukraine very closely and sees what has happened to Russia, to Putin, and that they've essentially lost this war. Uh, their invasion has been stopped. They've been weakened. Their economy has been weakened. And she has, I think, very carefully come to the conclusion that he does not want that to happen to China. And so I think uh, right now she is going to continue 
to watch this war, because if the United States and our allies can remain unified and remain strongly in support of Ukraine, I think China has to think twice about any kind of aggressive moves they're going to make in the Pacific. Because frankly, I think the next step for the United States is to build the same kind of strong alliance in the Pacific, working with the Quad, Mm -hmm. India, Australia, South Korea, Japan, uh, working with the ASEAN countries to build a strong alliance that makes clear to China that if they do make any kind of aggressive moves, there will be a unified effort to stop them. And Mr. Secretary, switching to the home front a little bit, uh, just a little while ago, uh, former President Trump on CNN essentially taking the side of Putin, which is not news exactly since he's been doing this all along. But through Fox News in particular, it seems like a pro-Putin channel. And what they're trying to do, I, I think, in part is to create doubts in the minds of the American public. Why are we expending any energy, uh, treasure, lives outside of the U.S. when there's so many problems in the U.S., sort of the isolationist mindset of 1939, 38, 39, and so forth. How do you tell the American people that it's in our not only in our best interest, but it's really existential, right? If Russia were to win in Ukraine, it would set off a, probably a series of wars, as you said, in the 1930s and early 40s, that's what happened. It would send a signal to China, would, would destabilize Asia. How do you counter that level of propaganda and molding of American public opinion? Well, I, I don't think there's any question, but that... Uh... Basically, uh, Trump and Fox are are becoming uh, propaganda arms for Russia at this point with regards to the Ukrainian war. Uh, We've seen that before. We saw that, uh, frankly, before World War II. There were groups in this country uh, that were strongly urging that uh, we not confront Hitler. Lindbergh, right? Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. That we stay neutral. And there were a lot of uh, effective voices out there basically urging isolation on the part of the United States. And thank God we had a leader at the time, uh, Franklin Roosevelt, who understood that ultimately, while he sensed what the politics was like here at home, uh, he nevertheless clearly saw the threat Mm -hmm. from Hitler and from Nazism and from fascism and uh, made moves to basically position us so that we could do what we could to help Great Britain try to survive. And I think those are lessons to be learned. Those are lessons to be learned. Those that somehow say we have no responsibility here are basically urging isolationism, are basically urging the United States to kind of withdraw from our leadership in the world. And I think the American people are smarter than that. I think the American people know that we have a larger responsibility as a democracy, to be able to continue to provide strong leadership in the world. Because I'll tell you something, at a dangerous time when we have all of these threats, if the United States does not lead, nobody else will. Nobody else will. And so I think in many ways, the survival of democracy is at stake here. And that's why it is extremely important for the United States, for our allies, for the American people, for the Ukrainian fighters who are putting up such a brave and courageous fight to continue to be able to work together to defeat Putin. I think there's no alternative here but to be able to succeed in stopping Putin. 
And I think what sometimes gets missed in this conversation is that if we were to sort of project a world in which the U.S. does not play the role that it's been playing since at least 1945, that there would be wars everywhere, right? There would be local conflicts, there would be massive disruptions to international trade, there would be mass violence, which ultimately would impact the lives of everyday Americans. Is that correct, you think? No, I think without question. Uh, look, we we live in a global world. Uh, it's obviously... Um, much more interconnected than even uh, the kind of world we had to deal with before World War II. Uh, this is a world that is uh, interdependent now on communications, on financing, on security, a number of areas. And for that reason, our security, our national interests are dependent on whether or not we are working with our allies to be able to advance both economic security, military security, uh, national security, developing the kind of relationships that can deal with technological change and improvements, dealing with the future that is going to present all kinds of challenges. But the only way to deal with those challenges is to be unified, to work with our allies, to be able to confront those issues. The United States can't do this alone. We've got to do it in partnership with others. And that's what the Ukraine is proving, our ability to unify NATO and to work together with NATO has sent a message to Putin that yeah. what he tried to do in undermining NATO has basically backlashed against him. He now has created an even stronger NATO. With Finland, he's doubled his exposure to NATO. I mean, it's, it's quite, quite dramatic, right? <laughs> and if Sweden joins, right. uh, it'll be that much more. So yeah. in many ways, his worst nightmare is coming true right. because um, what it has done is it, it has really unified Europe uh, in a way that I haven't seen for a long time, very frankly, yeah. uh, unified Europe in opposition to Putin and what he's trying to do in Ukraine. That's a good thing. Nothing like having a common enemy, correct? Exactly. So, Mr. Secretary, to, to bring our conversation to a closer, and I'm going to ask you to speculate a little bit, but how do you see this war ending? And I know there are multiple <laughs> ends of this story, but from your perspective, what do you think is the most likely scenario? Well, I think uh, that it was critical for Ukraine and uh, the fighters in Ukraine to be able to stop Putin's invasion. I think that sent a, a huge signal to the world that uh, those who are fighting for their own country can fight in a way that can overwhelm all of what intelligence thought Putin and his military could accomplish. I mean, let's not forget that the intelligence at the time said that the Russians would be able to invade, capture Kiev, and within a few days, the government would fall. Right. And yet uh, the Ukrainians stood up and fought bravely and made clear that that's not going to happen. And I think the fact is that Putin's losing this war. That's the bottom line. He's losing this war. He's been weakened. Frankly, I don't think he's going to be able to survive whatever happens in Ukraine back in Russia because Russia has been so weakened and paid such a heavy price for this crazy miscalculation on his part. So uh, how does this war end? I think the key right now, and th this is a pivotal moment, because you know we kind of have two paths here. If we go into a long and prolonged uh, stalemate war with Ukraine, I think that is exactly what Putin wants because he thinks that the longer this war goes on, the more it will break the will of the United States and our allies and Ukraine to be able to continue to fight. 
Uh, the second path is to initiate a strong offensive against the Russians, which I think Ukraine is prepared to do. We're providing the weapons, we're providing the support system. Uh, I think Ukraine is making a careful decision right now as to when this should happen. It may have already happened for all we know, because they could be operating on a number of fronts right now. Right. But if they are successful in pushing the Russians back, pushing them back uh, out of the Donbass, even pushing them back in Crimea, then Putin has to then face a decision. Does he withdraw and recognize that he's been defeated? Or does he try to negotiate with whatever leverage he has at that point? But the what is needed right now is a military offensive that increases the leverage of Ukraine to be able to sit down and negotiate with Putin. That's what this is all about. I think if they can gain that leverage, that ultimately they will prevail. Are you optimistic? I am optimistic because... Uh, you know, I, I've seen those fighters. Uh, they really care about protecting their country. And let me tell you, as a Secretary of Defense, if you have fighters who are fighting because they love their country and they're defending their country, that fighter is always going to prevail over fighters who are paid to try to somehow prevail. It's not going to happen. That's right. Well, Secretary Leon Panetta, thank you so much for joining the X-Ray today. Well, it's good to be with you, Fernando. Appreciate it. Have a great day. You too. Thank you, sir. As Ukraine fights for its independence and future as a democracy, it should inspire us. For though we're not fighting an invasion, we do face domestic forces, such as former President Trump, that would destroy our democracy to gain power. The extraordinary courage of the Ukrainian people can give us hope that we too have the strength and commitment to defend our own democratic liberties, despite the growing menace of domestic authoritarians. I want to thank Secretary Panetta for his insights today, and I want to thank the production team, Nicole Legacy, Sidney Richards, and René Pineda. And I want to thank you for joining me on this episode of The X-Ray. I'm Fernando Espuelas. For more information on this podcast, check out thexray.org and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. The X-Ray with Fernando Espuelas is an editorially independent production of Issue 1.